0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah 4. Last Sunday... We were in Nehemiah 3 and we looked at the wall building efforts, and it was pretty cool. And, you know, Nehemiah, God puts it on his heart to go back to Jerusalem from the Persian capital of Susa to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls, the gates. They had the temple, but they needed protection. They had a lot of hostile enemies around them. So we saw that. We saw all the people who jumped on board to pitch in to help build that wall. And Nehemiah 4, we're going to look at. Opposition to this project, and let me tell you something: (laughs) you can look at uh, something that happened 2,500 years ago, and God's word—that's why it's called the living word—because it's alive today as well. So we can look at that situation, and then you can look at your own situation today. You know, you may be desiring to serve the Lord, you may, you know, stand up to serve or to move from cultural Christianity to really put to something into it, and then all of a sudden you get opposition. And you're like, what what the heck is going on? You know, I'm trying to do a good thing. But, so they had their thing and we have our things. The next three Sundays, I think you're gonna be blessed, especially if you're going through something because we're gonna look at this, and I I named the, the title, the D word. You know, there's a bunch of words that we shouldn't say in our culture. So the D word, the D stands for discouragement. And Nehemiah certainly had his share of discouragement. The workers had their share of discouragement. But you know what? we also have our ups and downs in our spiritual walk. We have our shares of discouragement. We desire the things of God. God convicts us, you know, he asks us to step up to the plate and we do, and then we find that things get more challenging. And what does that mean? So I really want you to be blessed this morning to take this, this picture or this this project, which is really, I could say loosely, a type of the ups and downs that we deal with in our spiritual walk. And you can see it come from, and there's many different directions, but three basic directions. Number one is, obviously, if you're a believer and you're stepping up to serve the Lord, that opposition can come from the outside. It can come from enemies of God, people who are unbelievers that are hostile. Not all unbelievers are hostile, hostile, but some are. We can also see opposition from, sadly enough, within the community of people that call themselves believers, that are not in their word, they're not in prayer, they're cultural Christians and you step up to do something and they look at you funny now. You know, like you're what are you not one of us? What do you think you're too good for us? And all you're doing is just responding to the call of God. Third place that we can find it sadly is from within our own hearts. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is wicked, that's desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God searches the hearts and the minds. He knows the intents and the motives of our heart. He sees that. But sometimes we can deceive ourselves. And we can get ideas that come into our mind that are not God-centered. And we end up discouraging ourselves. It doesn't take anybody else on the outside, just that person in the mirror. So I want to encourage you, don't quit. If this is reaching you personally, well, you're here for a reason. Don't quit, okay? So let's jump in. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So the first thing we look at, and we're gonna look at it in four parts, three discouragements and one, the solution, the antidote to discouragement. So the first one is is discouragement through ridicule. And I'm not, I'm not gonna go into detail because I covered this last chapter, but suffice it to say that Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies. To the north, you had Sanballat. To the east, you had Tobiah. Geshmu was from the south. And now we'll find in verse seven, we're introduced to a new enemy on the west of Jerusalem is the Ashdodites, And they they were looking to cause trouble. They were looking to stop the work of God. You know, I love the way God organizes his word. I love the chapters because three, you get a list of people who did what, and we, we showed you on the, uh, basically an aerial view of the whole city and the gates and what everybody worked on. Okay, that's in general. And then we get pieces of, Well, the wall is halfway up, and these are the problems that they faced while trying to complete the wall. So that's what we're going to see in the next three chapters. So let's look at this. The first, in verse 1, we see anger and mocking from adversaries. Again, don't be surprised when you step up to serve God in a meaningful way that even some of your associates or those that you consider friends, that they react in a way that's unkind or angry. And a lot of times, that unmasks what type of person that really is. You can know somebody or think you know them for 10 years, and then they change. Or maybe that was who they always were. Who are our friends? Who are we hanging out with? What do we do when we hang out with them? And here's the the big question. And I'm not afraid to wade into this area because, you know, I'm guilty of it too. When we have a disagreement with somebody, we're so quick to look at ourselves as the one who's the victim. Of course, no matter who we're warring with, it's always their fault, isn't it? Well, let me ask you a question. Who are your friends? How are you as a friend? See, do you help your friends to sin and tempt them into things they shouldn't do, or do you edify them? Right? What type of friends are we? Because it's not always the other person. In verse 2, we see the move from mocking to verbal excoriation. I'll do this in A, B, and C. A, feeble Jews, what can these weaklings accomplish? Translation is, they're attacking the character. They're going right to the heart. You know, it's amazing if you can demoralize your enemy without firing a shot. You see what I'm saying, and and I'll submit to you that this is a form of psychological warfare. I study wars a lot, and I can tell you in every war, The side that won engaged in psychological warfare, demoralized the opponent. Don't lose any troops on your side. Take them out, and this is what this was doing. There's an expression I love this. It says some people can stand bravely when shot at, but collapse when they're laughed at. Amen. All right, you're feeling me this morning. All right. So the response, I think, you know, feeble. See, I'm kind of cool with, back in the day before I was a Christian, I was a boaster. You, by now you know I did everything that I shouldn't have done, and thank God God saved me. But, you know, you get with your friends and you start boasting, and you, you puff your chest out. Well, um, I can do this. Well, I can do that. You know when the problem comes? When you've got to put up or shut up. You know what I'm saying? So as a Christian, my thing is call me what you want. Call me ignorant, call me feeble, call me whatever nothing to see here. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just serving God in this little corner of the world. Move on, nothing to see. And that's a cool thing, because when you're a boaster, you have to put up. When you say, you know what, sure, I am a nothing, but I'm, I'm working with God in this little corner of the world. It's okay, move on to somebody else. I just want to read 2 Corinthians twelve seven through 10 The Apostle Paul, see, the problem is if you listen to a lot of this prosperity gospel stuff, you think that and people come out of that movement, five, ten years, completely dejected and leaving, leaving the faith. Because it's not biblical. Well, if, if I serve the Lord, then everything should always be great, and I should never get a fever, and I should always be wealthy. And then you realize, the only ones who are doing well are those at the top. It's like a Ponzi scheme. You know what I'm saying? Those of us who live a normal life, we go through our ups and downs. So let me just say, somebody that I admire and respect very much, the Apostle Paul... He says this because he worked with the Lord. God used him to do great things. And he says verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Now, this is so deep that I would just ask you after this to just go on the on the online and get the chapter because it's so much deeper that I can't go into. But the apostle Paul to me was a humble person but he also had his ups and downs and he had a lot of low points, okay? And it did keep him humble. Verse eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. By the way, it didn't. Does that mean he didn't have enough faith? If you listen to some of these preachers, you'd say, well, why is Paul writing the, half the New Testament? He had no faith. He should have been gone. He continues, he, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength. Paul's strength? No, my strength, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Whose weakness? God's weakness? No. Our weakness. Because then we're not so puffed up and we're more willing to give the glory to the Lord. He says, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my strengths, no, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. By the way, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm glad he was. You know, I wasn't asked to write anything and there's probably good reason for that. But he got it. He says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my my reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A paradox indeed. But very interesting if you really put it to, you know, this is real stuff, God's word. That's why we go through it. B. So the character is attacked of the the faithful. B, then the uh, attack of the materials. Oh yeah, we can look at Nehemiah and the building materials. Ah, it's rubbish, it's burnt, it's what a mess. What are they going to do with that garbage? You know, they don't have the money to cart in new stuff from the quarry down there, the, you know, so they're going to use that junk. I submit to you, the attack against the materials for us is the attack against the circumstances God allows in our life, where they're dealing with Garbage to try to build this wall. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and go, "I can't do anything with this, Lord. I know You've called me to do this. I look in the mirror; I can't even do anything with myself." And God's like, well, "That's really where I want you, because when it happens, I'm going to get the glory for it. You're just going to be just one of my vessels." I love that about Him. They basically say, "Well, they completed in a day. They have burnt stones. There's rubbish. I mean, look at the garbage." that God gave you to work with. And, you know, as Christians, sometimes, again, we look at our circumstances. We, we, our gaze is off of the Lord, and now it's on our circumstances. We're looking horizontally instead of looking vertically, and that's where we come into the problems. You know, you might be going through something, days. Yeah, we could live with days as Christians, right? You know, even the, in the busy nor- northeast, the hustle and bustle of New Jersey, you know, it's how we roll. I, I can wait a few days, weeks. Same circumstance, months, years. Whoa, Lord, years. We got to talk about this. You know, we look in the scripture, we look at the characters, we look at Abraham, we look at Moses. We admire them. We look at ourselves and we're impatient. We're ready to throw up our hands and give up. Decade? Forget about it. You know, so what does the enemy do when this happens? God's messing with you. He's messing with your mind. You see all those people in the church you just went to? They all have victory. God took care of them all. You, you don't even belong there. But what you don't realize is he's saying that to about 50 or 100 people at the same time. What's his goal? To remove them. To get them out of the safety of the pack, the fellowship of body believers. You see what I'm saying? So he attacks the, the materials and he tries to make our God look bad by saying he's holding out on us. He did that with Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey guys. Psst, psst, look at that tree. Pfft. Why wouldn't he want you to have that? Psst, 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 psst. And we hear that stuff in our heads. You know what I'm saying? You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> third, the, the third thing, see, just in case you're successful, if a fox, if you happen to even build this wall, if a little fox... You know, I love watching them at night, the way they bound, ding, ding, they're so fast. They look like a combination between a cat and a dog, but they never sit still long enough for me to, whatever. So, so even if a fox, they don't weigh much, bounds onto that wall, the whole thing will come down. The third attack, C, is God's completed work in us. See, we're brainwashed, especially in Western Christianity, to think for it to be good, it's got to be big. And I see pastors struggle with this and they they don't have peace they're not content well my church doesn't have a thousand people yet see it's the lie in order to be good it has to be huge it has to be ginormous it has to be you have to have everything including the basket weaving ministry for heaven's sake something for everybody and if not you're a failure so what he did was he attacked the believers to basically said so even if the wall goes up you're still a failure You see those three very cunning attacks and they're very, very, very powerful. So, in your little corner of the world, in my little corner of the world, we do something, we we serve, we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, we step up to the plate, and we accomplish. The enemy says, it's nothing. It's little, it's nothing. Useless. You wasted your time. Brothers and sisters, don't give in to the psychological warfare. Because we all have some of these or all of these happen in our regular walks. It's a lie. Don't believe the lies. Believe the word. Then I could ask, who's the Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshems, and Ashdodites in your life? Please don't call it out loud. Thank you. But Are we going to quit? Are we going to allow people to take us away from what God has called us to do? No, we shouldn't. Verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. This is Nehemiah. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So Nehemiah's response. Now we talked the last time about three responses, possible responses, and there's more to criticism harsh, undue criticism. And the first one, and I'll go in different orders, was to, and, and I've been there, persons just mean, nasty, they want to hurt you. And I'll, th- I'll think to myself, hmm, I could probably use 5% of that change and be a better person. It's, it's a good approach. It didn't happen here, but for you and I, this is a possibility. The second, which is what Nehemiah took the last time, is to attack the criticism head on. And I say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, he did it. And second of all, There's there's an idea behind it because those following him were starting to panic. So sometimes if you're a leader, you have to attack the criticism and take the air out of it so it doesn't mess up the people, your subordinates or those following you. So Nehemiah did that. We saw that. Three is what he does now is to ignore it. You know, if you're serving the Lord, you're busy. And you got those who don't do anything and they just sit back. They remind me of the Muppets. Remember the Muppet show, the two... Muppets in the balcony, hoo, hoo, hoo. and they were always making fun of the Muppets no matter what happened. And there's people like that in our life. And quite frankly, to always respond to a criticism is going to take us off of our game. You know, sometimes, listen, they got all day to do that, the Lord will deal with them. We need to get busy in our Father's business. Amen? So Nehemiah, he gives it to God. He's already, critic- he's already attacked the attack he shored up his troops, and now he's like, you know what, Lord, you've got to deal with these people because I, I just can't, I can't be bothered. I can't be distracted, that's the word. You know, um, you think about Hezekiah, right? The Assyrian army was surrounding the city. And, you know, it was it, um, not Sanballat, Reb <laughs> These names in my head. So the Reb Sheka sends this letter scroll to the king over the wall, and it's nasty. You know, we're going to destroy you. We destroyed all the other gods, and your God's no different. Hezekiah is a man of God. He just takes the scroll, brings it into the house of God, the temple, and I could just see him opening it up and say, Lord, you see what they said about you? They were afraid, they were surrounded. And the Lord's like, I got this one. You know, the Lord took care of it. So Hezekiah gave it to the Lord. Nehemiah gave it to the Lord. You know, David's imprecatory prayers break their teeth, Lord. Before you get too carried away, we are in the New Testament, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Nehemiah was frustrated. He was distracted. He was repugned on all sides. But he said, you know what, Lord? Look what they say about you. We're trying to build this wall. We're trying to work. um, And this is what they're doing. In the age of grace, we're to pray for our enemies. Now, here's the blessing. So I know it's not for this reason. It's because the Lord told us to. But if you have an enemy who's just a rabid person, and you pray for your enemy and that person gets saved, well, that person now is not your enemy anymore. They just became your ally if they truly get saved, right? And you're doing the work of the Lord. So let me encourage you with that. But we do. We get upset. We get frustrated, you know, and we are like, Lord, when is this person going to get off my back? Great, great book. <laughs> great book. And there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. Can you please at least hamstring their efforts? You know what I'm saying? God knows our hearts. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Excellent. And we get a glimpse of how this happens. I kind of, you know, <laughs> every once in a while I have to go down to the children's ministry for props. But, <laughs> but so now you're wondering, what, what's that all about? Is that, no, it's not a new design. Um, and again, I, when I was in college, during summers, I, I did some wall building. It was, it was a living. And uh, so basically what you do is when you... Build a wall. You really have to start with the corners first, because that's where you get your strength and stability. You put your square, make sure it's 90 degrees. Your plumb bob. You know, you want to in three dimensions. You want to make sure that this thing is accurate. Otherwise, I actually go- Googled um, uh, crooked walls, and, and people mess them up, and you see the thing go all squirrely. It looks ridiculous. Uh, so you got your corner, and, you, and we looked at the overhead the last time about the uh, the aerial of the gates and such. So you got your corners. And those have to be built up pretty high, because everything comes off of the corner. So, when you look at Nehemiah's wall, these were probably real high, and these walls were kind of about, like, right around here. So this is pretty accurate. Uh, and, you know, you had to keep doing that, build it in that fashion. But it's, it's, So you get an idea of what's going on you know i thought about the walls and why the walls were so important for definitely safety and protection but you know i also think of the walls today see jesus now we don't there's no temple christ is our he's the one you know the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice and for sin and god would accept that christ sprinkled his blood once on the cross the whole book of hebrews is about that only once and that ended all the sacrifices so we look to christ and We believe what he did. He died for our sins and we're saved. We trust in that that work on the cross. But uh, back in the day, you actually had a temple and you had God's sort of manifestation of his glory inside the Holy of Holies. And then the attacks would come from the enemy, so they did have to build a wall. Now, today I look at Jesus as our Holy of Holies, and we should. And also the walls are interesting because I know when I go to pray, now some pastors might disagree with me, I believe when I'm by myself and I'm praying to God and it's just me and Him and I'm pouring my heart out, I believe that the demons can't hear what I'm saying. That's just me. I really believe that God, it's such an intimate thing, prayer, that you know they're trying to jam the system and put their ear to the door and they can't hear I, That's what I believe. I believe there's that protection that He has. So I can be vulnerable with my God, not be concerned about what I, ha- what I say because it's just between me and Him. So that's, that's what I believe. So let's move on. Verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So the second point to this is discouragement. Now it's, it's being amped up. Uh, discouragement through the threat of attack. There's the Ashtodites, there's threats, you know, um, it was pretty bad. And verse 8 is very interesting. The word confusion struck out in my mind because we talk about that a lot in Christianity. Discouragement is very effective, but confusion is a great tool of the enemy as well. You know, if you can, you see some of these wars, even in modern times, battles where the troops were confused and they, they turned on each other and friendly fire and it, it, how can you win a war like that? Well, it's the same thing with us. When there's confusion about what we believe, when there's con- confusion about what's good teaching, when there's confusion about what, what are we praying and is it in God's will, it, it's, it's just as effective as, as discouragement. We see confusion in politics, in government, in the media. It's all over the place, but it really shouldn't be in our walk with the Lord. Now remember, if we're walking with the Lord and there's confusion, it's not on His end. You know, sometimes we even deal with again, like I talked about being uh, introspective, looking at ourselves. That we, we might be dealing with a spiritual situation or other Christians, and there's confusion. The confusion could lie in that somebody's not following God's word. And again, at times it's on our end. We keep walking in confusion, 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 and that's not the way God established it. Lord, reveal it to me. L- Lord, take me to a place in Your Word. Counsel with somebody ask the question, is this in the Bible or am I following something I shouldn't be following? So confusion, verse nine, continue. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. So they prayed, oh God, protect us, help us to finish this. But they set a watch, is there a contradiction? No, I like to use a legal term in my, my walk with the Lord is God always gets the first right of refusal. In other words, that's a legal term that we use today. But the way I use it is, you know, even praying for somebody to get well. Yeah, there's doctors. Yeah, they're in the hospital. But Lord, we give you first right of refusal. Is this in your will? Is this something you're going to turn around? And we look to that first, right? We have a, we have a miracle in the back of our church who uh, didn't look like he was going to make it. And there was a lot of prayer. And it's just an amazing thing. So... Proverbs 22.3 and Proverbs 27.12 repeated, it says this, quote, a prudent man sees evil and hides himself, or that word could be translated, he prepares himself. There's a problem, there's a threat looming, what do I do? But the simple pass on and are punished, or the ones that just, you just ignore it. They go through life just daydreaming and ignoring stuff. And guess what? They're punished in a way that they deal with the ramifications of doing nothing. I like to say that God gave us a big brain. Oh, remember we talked about the neurons and synapses and billion neurons and trillions of synapses. It's amazing how many things can happen in the brain. And He wants us to use it. There's nothing super spiritual about sitting around lazily and looking at the sky and hoping that things happen or that things fall from the sky. It's not reality. But we do give God the first right of refusal as believers. And that's how it comes together and makes sense. There's this sweet balance between trusting and waiting on God and also being part of the plan. You know, church security is a big it's a big thing now. There's all these waves of ideas that go through the church. And I went to the pastors conference and they were talking about it. And everywhere I go, church security, church security. Well, you see all well, the terrorist attacks and Church Mutual, which is a, an insurance company that insures churches, sends us information about how uh, attacks in houses of worship are on the rise. Well, we should do something. Does it mean that all those churches that say, hey, let's, let's do something, let's put a team together, that they're not trusting the Lord? No, it's not, because it happens. Okay, so you see that balance. The children of, Il- of Israel, God would say, go out and, and fight your enemy, but I'm going to give you the victory. But he didn't say, just sit around and eat and, you know, just kind of leave your swords there and k- kick your feet up. I'm going to take care of it. He said, put on your armor, put on your sword, your shields, go out there and meet the enemy. Now, I'm going to make it victorious. Were there there few instances in their war where God says, I got it. He did say that to the children of Israel. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to take care of this. But for the most part, he sent them out to battle and he says, but I'm going to give you the victory. Right? Same thing with the, with the wall, Nehemiah's wall. They all didn't sit around, you know, smoking cigarettes, looking around and saying, oh, look, the mortar's being mixed by itself. There's an invisible hand mixing the mortar. Oh, look, it's getting slathered onto the top of the stones. Hey, that was a big stone. That was a big aggie. Look at that thing. Whoa, it's just levitating. You know, th- th- this wall's going up by itself. God says, I'm going to make you victorious, but you've got to do something. You've got to put a little effort into it. Right? We read the nobles didn't put their shoulders into the work. It's the same thing with us believers. we got to do something. You know, God calls us to do. He calls us to, to you know, so, sometimes just meeting a stranger in the doctor's office. It's not going to happen by telepathy. I mean, you know, and, and I've been there. I've been there and I haven't felt like it. And God has told me, talk to that person. They're going through something. You know, i got to open my mouth. i got to move closer. Hey what are you reading over there? You know what i 'm saying? Do something and and sometimes Christians are they just want God to do everything, and that 's just not reality it 's not reality in the old testament it 's not reality in the New Testament. Jesus said, "Go, preach the gospel, go, guys, move, spread out, tell them about me, baptize them, teach them, disciple them, go my spirit 's going to be with you, but you 've got to move. you know what i 'm saying. So uh, it's pretty awesome. And, and that's where the, the trick is. And that's where it gets tricky and it gets challenging. How much do we are a part of it and how much is God? And that really co- comes through prayer and reading the Word of God and counseling with other people who can see it from the outside. You know, listen, being a Christian is not easy. If you're really doing it right, it's not easy. It's challenging. But you're working for the CEO of the universe. I mean, let's talk about this. Okay? And he's a very kind CEO and he treats us as sons and he. Sent us on to die for our sins. Where do you get that in the world? Verse 12, or verse 10, excuse me. Then Judah, okay, the southern kingdom of Judah, you know, where Jerusalem was in, that tribe, it says, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Not to be outdone, because the adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, there will be, they will be upon us. So the third out of the fourth this morning is discouragement now comes from the inside. Sometimes you know that you're serving God by the amount of opposition that you're getting. You know? you know that you're you're making progress because you're just getting pounded by you know unspiritual people that are trying to take you off your game and you know so this is what's going on here you know it is expected that discouragement comes from the adversaries but i think it's far more painful and difficult when it comes from the inside we're going to sneak up on you and we're going to kill you at night we're going to you're not even going to see it we're going to slit your throats i mean just nasty threatening, frightening things for these people. And they don't have the wall up completely. So in verse 10, it says, Judah said, okay, they were the Jews of Judah. And verse 12, the Jews said, in general, the strength of the laborers is failing, so much rubbish, we can't finish it. And before you know it, our enemies are going to be upon us. I'll tell you when, that to me is the worst form of discouragement, number three. When it comes from our own minds, self-defeating, uh, some people, before they get out of the house, they're already defeated. They just, they just have this dysfunctional pattern of negativity. And they're always down on themselves. So all those people in the past that, and, and I'm not making light of this, that said you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything. So you want them to win? Do you want them to be accurate? No. No. And then it's even worse when it comes from within the church or within a group of believers or our own peer group. You know, it, we can, again, always expect it from the outside, but when it's from the inside, that's, I think that's the worst. Absolutely. Verse 13. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. This constant reinforcement great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I mean, this is one of the best examples that I've ever seen of trusting God for the outcome, but also being diligent in doing what we're supposed to do. And Nehemiah, he wasn't a security guy. He was a cupbearer. Let's, let's put this in perspective. He was the guy that was in the king's court, and everything was fine, and they, they had their military and their guards, and You know, he tasted the wine and he tasted the food. I'm not dead. Here, king, it's good. You can eat it. That was his job. Here he is now, he's got this ongoing um, morphing security detail. And again, what do you think that you can't do? If the Lord calls you to do it, he will empower you to do it. This was not his forte. But he apparently was very good at it. Okay? And what he did was, if we're looking at the wall example again, So this is, let's say, eight feet or so high. Of course, the enemy is going to come at the low point. So what he does is he puts his guards, his contingent, back here because that has to be guarded. Or if there was a breach where the, the gate was and that wasn't completely finished, he would put them there. So he was allocating resources properly. He was a good manager in addition to this. Who knew that Nehemiah had this in him? Verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their counsel to nothing, he did, he answered that prayer. He brought their counsel to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and the other, they held a weapon." Oh, that weapon. <laughs> every one of the builders had his sword girded his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. You know, every so often we read the scripture, and you, and, and I have to tackle current events. And I'm reading the chapter, and there's so many weapons, and there's so much security, that I feel like I need to tackle something, and I do have an area of expertise. And I want to cover this with you because many of you ask me this question outside of church, on the phone, person to person, because maybe you don't want somebody to overhear your conversation. In our mindset, in the Northeast, especially New Jersey, New York area, basically if you watch the news enough, they will tell you if you're a Christian and you own a gun, that you're a bad person or you're a bad Christian. Honestly, I don't let the media teach me what I need to know about the scripture. I prefer to read the scripture. So I wanna, yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about it for a few minutes. Well, let's see, what does the New Testament say? Let's turn to Romans 13, 1 through 5. This is about civil order in society. Being able to go to the store, go to a concert, and not have some deranged stranger harm you or your family. It's in the scripture, verse one. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So you do, if you do wrong, you're out there, you're robbing, you're stealing, you're doing, eventually the authority is gonna get a hold of you and you might lose your life. You might get hurt, okay? Don't do it. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Then do what's good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So we've traded our swords over 2,000 years for Glock 22s and AR-15s, but the concept is still there, okay? We understand that. Back then they carried gladius and pikes and different types of weapons uh, to keep civil order. For he is God's minister, to an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, God's not foolish. He knows that, that when men get together and form governments, there's corruption. And he knows that not every authority is doing what's right. It's almost as if civil order takes precedence over an imperfect government. You see what I'm saying? Now, when I was a kid, when I was younger, I used to watch the Mel Gibson Mad Max movies. It was complete anarchy. You know, there was no phones, there was no anything. It was just insane. It was like the strongest people would survive. That's anarchy. And I just, I say this facetiously, I love the, the, the young anarchists who carry around their iPads and their iPhones. If you destroy society, you're not gonna have that stuff. There's gonna be no electricity. And if you don't own a firearm, you're gonna be subjugated. It's that simple. So God allows a, a forming of a government and again, our government, believe me, when you get to the federal level, both parties, trust me, they're corrupt. However, there has to be some order in society. Okay? Why do I say this? I'll just give you my experience. 24 years I worked as a patrolman, not in a, not in a bureau. I worked two and a half years for a very urban department, and then the rest of the years for a suburban department. Um, I'm proficient and a sharpshooter in Pump shotgun, semi-automatic shotgun, AR-15 assault rifle, semi-automatic handguns. And, believe me, when I say a sharpshooter with open sights, you know, it's, I just have a knack for the, and, and a respect for the weapon. Weapons are values neutral, okay? What that means is that an AR-15 picked up by an ISIS fighter going into Syria, mowing down the men, and taking those poor girls and subjugating them is a bad thing. That same AR-15 picked up by our Navy SEALs or Special Forces going down there and taking out the ISIS guys and freeing those girls is a good thing. This is what the progressive mind doesn't understand. They don't want to assign good and evil to people, so they assign it to objects. The gun is bad. No, people need to take personal responsibility. The gun is a tool. Do you want, do you want people protecting your you know, your township so that you can come and go freely? Yes, you do. I will tell you this. If you think that Jesus has turned the other cheek applies to allow a stranger to break into your home and and let's just say that 24 years I've seen things. I've seen rape, molestation victims. I've been there on murder scenes. And uh, these eyes have seen a lot, and I don't forget. Twenty-something years ago, I still remember the images. Woman, domestic violence, was stabbed to death by her boyfriend in the first apartment I was with. Uh, We went over 100 miles an hour to get there, and we tried to save her, and it was too late. I still remember that over 20 years ago. No one's going to tell me that somebody who owns a gun to protect their home and their family is a bad person, and it's not reflected in the Scripture. Rape and molestation victims sometimes never get past the horrors that they have to experience. And that person had no right to break into the home and do that. Chuck Smith, I remember he he had passed away, but the founder of Calvary Chapel, he was going through the Old Testament and he stopped and he said, now this was in the 80s, he goes, I'm amazed. He goes, today there's more rights for the criminal than there is for the victims. The victims get swept under the, the judicial system, and everybody is looking at the person who committed the crime as the victim. We live in a very upside-down world. The, the, there was a, um, a documentary done recently by Katie Couric, and it was about gun control, and she doctored the tapes and was found out, and then she blamed it on her editor. These people are weasels. <laughs> the media types, the government, even the, the religious leaders who are telling you you're a bad Christian if you have a gun, okay? They have automatic weapons and people guarding them day and night. When they get rid of their, their armed security, then maybe I'll take them seriously. Don't, don't get sucked into it. You have the right to protect your family. I see this thing over at o- Orlando with the nightclub. This stuff's happening more and more, you know? Um, I'll just leave you with one last thing and we'll move to the rest of the chapter. I subscribe to far-reaching ministries. A- and this is the problem. Americans sometimes, we're so in our Western bubble, we don't see the plight of people outside of this country. This civil war in Sudan has been going on for years. The Christian South is being annihilated. They're bombing churches, they're mutilating women, there's horrible things happening. And these men, and these, all these guys have passed by the way, these men are raised up to be chaplains, but also to carry a gun and protect the women and children. To us, that's crazy, because Americans' guns are bad. This is reality. If these people hadn't stepped up and given their lives to protect these people, how much worse would it be in southern Sudan? So they're raised up to be chaplains. These guys know their Bibles, but they also know how to take apart a rifle and put it back together and clean it, and to fire it. Okay, again, to the average, person in this area, that sounds crazy. But the progressive ideas make no sense sometimes. Without this, you only have victims, okay? And even in the Old Testament, it spoke very harshly about taking a person's life. Today, there's just endless appeals. So, okay, we're going to move on to that next one. Uh, I mean, the caveat to all this is obviously... You have to see what's right for you. Is there someone in your family who has mental illness? Is there somebody who has addiction issues, who's suicidal? Um, We never want there to be a tragedy. Children, you you know, New Jersey law says it has to be uh, under, I should know this, under 16, anyone who's in the house at that age, the guns have to be locked up and they have to be um, secured because we don't want accidents. And I would agree with that. That's a horrific tragedy. But there's ways to do this. Um, if you have questions, you could talk to me after service. But I don't know, maybe I made some of you feel better. Uh, but you know, there's got to be common sense in this whole thing. Verse 19, continuing. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Therefore, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So there was thousands of linear feet, again, looking at an aerial view, all throughout that wall through the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, so they, you couldn't put a man at every foot or every three feet. You had to allocate the resources where they were most needed. And basically, uh, the trumpeteer was by Nehemiah. And when they heard the trumpet, there was danger, and the forces had to rally to Nehemiah, and then they would go and face the threat so there was some organizational skills here but the fourth point is the antidote to discouragement and that's trusting god honestly our lives are in his hands anyway i mean you know i like <laughs> a sense so funny i mean i like to have my ducks in a row and order and stuff and god always turns that upside down on me he's like you got to trust me you can't trust in yourself i'm just being honest with you so we all want to have control of our own lives but god shows us things that Really, ultimately, he's the one in control. But Nehemiah is constantly telling the people to trust God, to trust God, to encouragement. There's discouragement. The antidote is encouragement, godly encouragement. 21, last few verses. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. I just find that humorous. (laughs) Guys, TMI, man, all right? You know what I'm saying? So... But this, remember, we talked about this. God's word is also history. It's also uh, annals of government. It's also, uh, God's word, of course, is God's word. But Nehemiah also took this information and sent it back to Persia so he could say to the king, I know you spent a lot of money in this project. This is what we're doing with it. Um, And he's adaptable. Uh, Nehemiah's not stuck in his ways. But there was a a contingent of people that were hypervigilant. They were ready. They were ready for action if need be. Um, so, and of course, they didn't take their clothes off, thank God they washed, but, you know, that was the only time they took their clothes off, and, you know, the rest is history. But, so, discouragement, the D word. Brothers and sisters, you know this, and I'm going to say this for myself. Discouragement can hit us harder than any punch in the stomach, and any hurricane. Discouragement can rock us to our core, because it's not an external thing, it affects us on the inside. It can take the wind out of our sails from within. I'm going to tell you something. If you think life is a battle, when you step up to, the ser- to serve the Lord, it's even more challenging. And Some would say, then why do you do it? Again, this is God we're talking about. And, and we don't do it grudgingly. Oh, I've got to serve God again today. It's an awesome thing. You get to see literally miracles happen in people's lives. I mean, it's It's amazing. Nehemiah's project was a type of the spiritual battles we face when serving the Lord. I just want to read something short from Warren Wiersbe. I love this guy. Uh, In his book, Be Determined, he says this. I'll find what he says. Okay. He says, When things are going well, get ready for trouble because the enemy doesn't want to see the work of the Lord make progress. As long as the people in Jerusalem were content with their sad lot, sad lot... The enemy enemy left them alone, but when the Jews began to serve the Lord and bring glory to God's name, the enemy became active. Opposition is not only an evidence that God is blessing, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow. The difficulties that came to the work brought out the best in Nehemiah and the people. Satan wanted to use these problems as weapons to destroy the work, but God used them as tools to build his people. God had one son without sin, said Charles Spurgeon, but he never had a son without trial amen to that. He never had a son without trial. The Trojan horse that the enemy uses a lot is discouragement. He gets in on the inside and he tries to take us out and defeat us before we even leave the door to our house. Okay, We all know in this room discouragement. You've lived long enough you understand discouragement. Let me tell you something. There's a few people in this room, a handful or more, that I know as I was studying this, that you need to hear this message. Right now you're going through something and you're going through some turmoil. It could be financial, It could be health. It could be you feel like you've been forgotten and you're really struggling. And I really want you to be blessed with this message and the next two Sundays as well. Because I have to tell you something. I'm normally upbeat, but I go through discouragement too. I'm not Superman. I'm just like the rest of you. Okay? I want to encourage you that God is working behind the scenes. He loves you. The war is already won, but we still have to fight these spiritual battles until the Lord blows the trumpet and takes us home. And I want to leave you with this. Amen. Any, any, any one of these days, we're going to hear that trumpet blow, man. And that's going to be something amazing. This, we leave you with this Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not grow weary in doing good. Why is that in there? Because it's, it happens. God wouldn't put something in there if it was not possible. We do grow weary sometimes in doing good. He says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, that means God's timing, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Let's pray.